Brought to you by GSK. Shingles doesn't have an off-season. No matter what time of year it is, it can strike. So don't wait to vaccinate. Visit shingleseason.com. Hello and welcome to the September 19th, 2023 Annals of Internal Medicine podcast. I'm Dr. Christine Lane, Annals Editor-in-Chief, and I'm here to let you know about the new material you'll find if you go to annals.org. The first article I'll mention is a large study of more than 60,000 middle-aged nurses that found that those with an evening chronotype were more likely to engage in an overall unhealthy lifestyle, particularly smoking, poor sleep, and physical inactivity, and had a 72% higher risk of developing diabetes. You might be wondering, what is an evening chronotype? Chronotype, also known as circadian preference, is a partly genetically determined construct and refers to one's inclination for earlier or later sleeping times. Using non-scientific terms, people that we call night owls have an evening chronotype, while early birds have a morning chronotype. An estimated 8% of the population has an evening chronotype, which has been linked to poor metabolic regulation, disrupted glycemic control, metabolic disorders, and higher incidence and prevalence of type 2 diabetes. However, the reasons for the observed association between evening chronotype and increased diabetes risk are not well understood. This prospective cohort study followed 63,676 nurses aged 45 to 62 years with no history of cancer, cardiovascular disease, or diabetes from 2009 to 2017. The researchers found that participants with a definite evening chronotype were 54% more likely to have an unhealthy lifestyle than participants reporting definite morning chronotype. Persons with evening chronotype also had a 72% higher risk of developing diabetes during the follow-up period. The authors report that this association weakened but persisted even after adjusting for all measured lifestyle and sociodemographic factors. They emphasize that these results are restricted to persons who did not work recent night shifts. Future investigation in other populations leveraging genetic determinants for chronotype is needed to determine whether their findings are applicable to men, non-white racial or ethnic groups, or other socioeconomic classes. Moreover, generational differences in diet, exercise, and body weight may limit the applicability of their findings to younger or older generations or current times. An accompanying editorial notes that several factors, including psychological factors, type of work, and possible lifetime changes in chronotype could confound the results of this study. The editorial also notes that the results suggest that circadian misalignment due to mismatch between chronotype and work timing, rather than the chronotype, may be a potential mechanism for these results. The study adds to the growing evidence that reassigning evening chronotype workers to night shifts may improve sleep among shift workers and improve their metabolic health. More than one in three U.S. adults is overdue for colorectal cancer screening. Receiving a clinician recommendation is the strongest and most consistent determinant of colorectal cancer screening participation. Lack of clinician recommendation may contribute to low uptake of colorectal cancer screening, but the magnitude of this problem is unknown. In the study report in the next article, researchers pooled nationally representative data from the 2019 and 2021 National Health Interview Survey to estimate the prevalence of receiving a clinician recommendation for colorectal cancer screening among underscreened U.S. adults overall and by demographic, socioeconomic, and healthcare access characteristics. 
The analysis included 5,022 adults who are eligible and overdue for colorectal cancer screening and had a wellness visit in the past year. Overall, only about a quarter of respondents reported receiving a clinician recommendation for colorectal cancer screening, and the rate of recommendation was lowest among marginalized racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic groups. Even if some adults underreported receiving a recommendation due to not remembering or understanding what was discussed with their clinician during a past appointment, the findings highlight a major communication gap about colorectal cancer prevention. The authors suggest that interventions are needed to remove barriers that prevent effective counseling on colorectal cancer prevention. Earlier this summer, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, convened by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, voted in favor of a recommendation that adults 60 years and older receive a single dose of respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, vaccine. Two new vaccines, RSV pre-F and RSV pre-F3, are approved for use in this population and show robust protection against RSV. As several vaccines emerge offering protection to both the old and the very young, Dr. Camille Cotton, a member of the advisory committee and the author of this new commentary in Annals, says this is an exciting time for RSV prevention. In her commentary, Dr. Cotton shares key highlights from the vaccine trials, including efficacy and safety data. The commentary provides very useful information for clinicians as they field questions from patients and engage in shared decision-making about the new RSV vaccines. As reports reveal a late summer and fall rise of COVID-19 cases and the continued presence of dis and misinformation about the transmission, vaccines, and treatments, it's critical to identify evidence-based treatments for COVID-19 that continue to evolve as new data emerge. Next are updated recommendations from the American College of Physicians and an accompanying background evidence review on the treatment of COVID-19 in the outpatient setting. The new evidence reviewed includes two randomized controlled trials and six retrospective cohort studies to assess the benefits and harms of 22 different COVID-19 treatments. Treatments supported in the updated guidance include the consideration of malnupiravir or neuromotrelivir or ritonavir to treat symptomatic patients with confirmed mild to moderate COVID-19 in the outpatient setting who are within five days of the onset of symptoms and at high risk for progressing to severe disease. The recommendations do not support the use of ivermectin or sotrovivab to treat patients with confirmed mild to moderate COVID-19 in the outpatient setting. In addition, there are 18 other treatments for which no eligible studies were identified during the Omicron variant period. More research is needed about the effectiveness of treatments and if effectiveness varies by patient characteristics, immunity status, symptom duration, and disease severity of COVID-19 in the outpatient setting. The American College of Physicians emphasizes that risk stratification is an important step before deciding the best approach to manage COVID-19 in the outpatient setting. The recommendations note that the decision to initiate treatment for COVID-19 in the outpatient setting should be personalized and based on clinical judgment. Best practice is to use an informed decision-making approach with patients regarding potential treatment benefits and harms, patient characteristics such as risk factors, comorbid conditions, and disease severity, patient preferences, and social determinants of health. Clinicians should review all medications and potential drug interactions before initiating treatment for COVID-19. 
ACP's Population Health and Medical Science Committee will maintain these practice recommendations as a living document by monitoring and assessing the impact of new evidence and updating as needed. Go to annals.org to read the full recommendations and background review. You will also find a brief video summarizing the evidence. Primary care physicians are frequent sources of health advice for U.S. international travelers. International travel can result in new illnesses or exacerbate existing conditions. Primary care providers should be familiar with destination-specific disease risks, be knowledgeable about travel and routine vaccines, be prepared to prescribe chemoprophylaxis and self-treatment regimens, and be aware of travel medicine resources. Primary care providers should recognize travelers who would benefit from referral to a specialized travel clinic for evaluation. Those requiring yellow fever vaccination, immunocompromised hosts, pregnant persons, individuals with multiple comorbid conditions, or travelers with complex itineraries may warrant specialty referral. This month's In the Clinic Review provides practical, evidence-based guidance about travel medicine. Additional new material includes a very moving on being a doctor essay titled Lessons Learned While Grieving and the two latest episodes of the Annals on Call podcast. One discusses keeping physicians in the workforce, and the second one discusses anemia associated with taking low-dose aspirin for cardiovascular disease prevention. There's also the latest issue of ACP Journal Club. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll go to annals.org to take a look at some of the new material I've mentioned. Thanks to Beth Jenkinson, Andrew Langman, and Bernie Turner for their technical support. Brought to you by GSK. Shingles doesn't have an off-season. No matter what time of year it is, it can strike. So don't wait to vaccinate. Visit shinglesseason.com.